Hey there, Angel here with another episode of Dating Sales Podcast. Men do not like drama. I see women don't either, but we often talk about the fact that men don't like it and that they're getting more of it from women. Is that true? What is drama? Can we differentiate between healthy emotional processing and drama? What is our responsibility and that of our girlfriend or wife? You know, where is it all coming from? We're going to ask a lot of questions about drama today and in general, managing issues in relationships. What we're going to be doing is looking at, first of all, polyamory, because polyamory is basically a set of relationships which are more complex. Could be like It involves more than just two people, the way it's set up. So it has this potential to create more conflicts and more drama. It's a great place to learn how to better manage your relationships. And, but of course, all of it applies to every other type of relationship as well. Monogamy, marriage, girlfriend, and so on. So this is going to be solid stuff for all of those scenarios. Today we have Minx from the Polyamory Weekly Podcast. And I have to say, her podcast makes me look like an utter beginner at this whole game. Because she's been in this for 10 years. They just celebrated their 10-year anniversary of the podcast. And she has nearly 500 episodes out there. I haven't even made 100 yet. So, you know, we've got someone who's got some serious experience here and it's very focused on the area of polyamory and they're often discussing relationship issues. She also speaks regularly at polyamory and six positive conferences. I saw one of her presentations and I thought it was great quality, had a lot of really solid advice. So that's why I asked her to come on the podcast, apart from the fact that she's just really experienced in all this stuff. The name of her talk was Kicking Polydrama on Its Ass. This is really about developing relationship quality skills, right? maintaining, sustaining, and ensuring the quality of your relationships and they don't get damaged over time unnecessarily. This is a really, really key skill set everyone should develop, okay, no matter where you are. So some of you are going to find in this that you're going to be looking at drama in new ways afterwards. I'm betting some of you will realize even that what you thought was drama was actually something else. And you may even learn quite a bit about yourselves. This is a great interview, full of great information and advice. Hope you enjoy it. To get the show notes, the MP3 download, and the interview transcript from today's episode, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast and select the episode and get all the good stuff there. If you want to get all of the good stuff in your email inbox, you can just go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter, pop your email in there, and every time we release an episode, it will automatically arrive there for your enjoyment. Now let's get into today's interview. I'm Angel Donovan, and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships, to become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned, chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step-by-step, episode-by-episode. Hi, Minx. It's so great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Angel. Excellent. This is one of the few times we've had a fellow podcaster on the show, so that's always good because I know you've spoken a lot (laughs) live as well, so I'm sure it's going to be a great conversation. 
We like to get to know the persons like a lot of people probably, probably haven't listened to your podcast. So can you give us a few details about yourself? Like how old are you and where do you live? What do you do? People don't listen to my podcast. I'm shocked. There must be some <laughs> in the world somewhere. There's one or two somewhere in the world. Yeah. I go by Minx or Cunning Minx. I am years old. And huh? Huh? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll say that's 39. I'm 46. Okay, cool. I live in Seattle. And uh, I've been poly for, I've been doing the podcast for 10 years this month, actually, and poly for slightly longer than that. I actually started the podcast because my first year of polyamory with this amazing guy that I fell in love with and his partner was there was so much drama every day of the week. It was phone calls and crying and how do we do this and who's not getting attention and and just heart-wrenching drama every day of the week. And um, I decided to start the podcast because I figured if we could save a couple of people some of that drama, then it would be worth it. And it really, uh, people just kept listening and kept asking questions. And here we are 10 years later. Excellent. I don't know how many hundreds of episodes you have, but there must be quite a stack of them by now. 425. Wow. And you know the exact number you're like. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm looking forward to the 500th episode. I bet you are too. That's really a milestone. I don't even think there's that many podcasts out there with that many episodes. So it's a testament to how interesting it is. So guys, if you're interested in polyamory, then that's a podcast to definitely check out and go listen to Minx for a while. So I take it that you're still polyamorous today. Have you been polyamorous the last 10 odd years? And is it something you do on an ongoing basis just to give people an idea of your dating lifestyle? Well, I self-identify as poly. So it's something I am rather than something I do. There is a question as to, there were quite a few years, quite a few years when I was single. So there was a, a good five or six years when I was dating and single. And I questioned whether I could still self-identify as poly. But to me, that's kind of like saying, well, if, if you don't have a partner, are you still gay? Well, no, you're gay. Even if you're not fucking somebody at this moment, <laughs> you're still gay. And that's how I felt that I'm polyamorous. So even when I was single, even when I was dating a monogamous person and we were monogamous, I still self-identify as polyamorous because I just like to keep the possibility open. And the truth is that for me, I know a lot of people feel that they are hardwired to be poly and they've always been poly and it's something that's in their brain chemistry. For me personally, it's more of an orientation. I've been monogamous. It was fine. I had some good and happy relationships when I was monogamous. I find that polyamory just works a lot better for me. I work a lot better when I have a partner. And I frankly really like having his wife around because um, it's nice to be able to send him home so I can have my private time. (laughs) It's nice to have his wife to talk to when he's being weird or something's going on. And I could just do a check-in with her. She's like, oh yeah, he just does that. Just give him a blowjob nap and cookie. He'll be fine. (laughs) So it's really nice having three or more of us. I just, I really like it. It really works for me. Great. You've referred there to the kind of like two girls, one guy type of polyamory, but of course polyamory can be lots of lots of different ways. Is that just kind of the the style that has suited you that you found suits you the best? Yeah, I tend to, for whatever reason, I'm sure that psychologists could tell you all kinds of reasons (laughs) why, uh, I tend to go for uh, guys that are in an existing relationship. But it tends to work out that way for me. I have dated guys who are single and it just didn't work out very well for me. I tend to like to date a guy who is married or who has been married in a healthy relationship. And what's really great about that is that he already has the relationship skills. If I'm dating somebody who's in a healthy relationship, then 
I know that he can make it work. And plus, I have a partner to, to keep him honest. Yeah, right? Yeah, right. So. It sounds like also that you're quite independent. You said, you know, you like your time on your own sometimes. And this style could be better for people who are more independent minded. Right. There are as many different types of relationships, and I include monogamy in that as well as polyamory, as there are people on this earth. So one of the things that I think is important to understand is that we get to dictate what our relationship structure is. Society doesn't get to dictate that. Just because society shows you a picture of man, woman, 2.2 kids and a white picket fence doesn't mean that that has to be your reality. You can have extra partners. You can have affairs. You can have lovers. You can have intimate friendships. You can have live-in partners. You can have uh, friends who live with you that aren't partners. I mean, you get to set up whatever you want. One of the nice things about polyamory is that once you've broken the societal norm and said, hey, I'm not just going to fuck one person at a time, or I'm not going to love one person at a time, I'm going to be open to all the possibilities and we'll just be honest with each other and work it out. Once you do that, then you could kind of throw those traditional structures out the window if you want. So there are plenty of poly people that look like your monogamous friends. My partner and his wife certainly do. You know, and I look fairly vanilla and straight laced and I just don't happen to be. So you can construct your relationship in the way that works for you and the way that's healthiest for all the people involved. It doesn't have to look like everybody else's. Great, great. Well said. <laughs> so it's interesting that you first got into your whole Poly Weekly podcast because of drama. In my kind of polyamory years, I struggled with the drama also and kind of flitted between going monogamous again and then going back to polyamory because of it. It was the main, it was the main factor in those kind of relationships, which uh, didn't suit me. I'm not a huge fan of drama. But of course, I think one of the things about what you learn about drama and dealing with it in the, and perhaps avoiding it in polyamory is that it, those types of relationships often are a little bit more complicated from that aspect. And so everything you learn there can be applied to monogamous, simpler kinds of relationships and is on the whole applicable. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would say that you know, drama is drama. It has more to do with the people involved than with the relationship structure. Plenty of monogamous people, just read your Facebook feed. There are plenty of monogamous people yeah. that go through plenty of drama with regard to their relationship without the benefit of polyamory. Now, because polyamory is a more disruptive relationship structure, there is the propensity for more drama at first. But I really find that if the people involved are honest and consenting and self-confident and self-aware adults, that you really, it's very easy to keep the drama to a minimum. Where you get drama is when you have adults who don't know themselves very well, so they don't know why they act the way they do. So they just start acting out. What is acting out? Just for the guys at home, what are examples, concrete examples of acting out? Oh, that's a terrible phrase. I shouldn't have used that phrase because acting out is usually used to describe children. <laughs> right, right. It's a, little, it's a little of a negative connotation there. Yeah, naughty kind of. I would just insert any situation that you would consider drama, doing things like putting down an ultimatum, doing things like having crying fits, you know, saying, you don't, you don't love me because of X, or doing things like clamping down the relationship, saying, okay, we have to stop, both stop seeing people because I'm not happy. Let's back up to the definition of drama. Because one of the reasons I actually came up with this seminar called Kicking Polydrama in the Ass is because I felt like sometimes I was accused of having 
a lot of drama when I didn't want to. And so I kept asking myself the question, what's the difference between simply processing your feelings because something upsetting has happened and that happens to all of us? What's the difference between processing those feelings and what we use the derogatory term drama to describe? My partner, Lusty Guy, actually came up with the best definition I've heard, which is drama is simply adding amplification to emotional reactions. And so one of the examples I like to use is we all have emotional reactions, and that's okay. It's normal to have an emotional reaction in a time of extreme stress or when you get surprised. So, for example, you're in a car accident and you're rear-ended. So most of us, even when we have something shocking, physically and emotionally shocking like that happen, we're still able to act like an adult. So we check to make sure that we're okay. We get out of the car. We check to make sure the other person is okay. We call 911 if needed. Maybe we can even exchange insurance. And then we go home and we cry or we drink, right? Now, an example of adding drama to that would be jumping out of the car and screaming at the other driver, why do you hate me? So most of us can keep from doing that, can keep from throwing a tantrum or from making it personal or from adding amplification to a particular event. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it's a very important topic, especially, I think this is kind of stereotyping, but I I think it is kind of the case, is that a lot of guys tend to say that women are being overly dramatic and they're causing drama they're being overly emotional. But I think women can be more emotional. And it's just natural, as you say, and some guys too, but it just tends to be uh, women who are so I've had girlfriends are pretty emotional. But once you appreciate that they're just like that, it doesn't have to become drama. So I think a lot of the times, guys are kind of putting this frame on something where they're saying, oh, like, you're just being dramatic again, where in fact, as you said, they're just kind of processing their emotions. And that's the way they are. And That's why I mentioned earlier, it's about having a level of self-awareness, because I think in those situations, what's going on is that, in your example, the men are having a reaction to the women's emotions. The women are experiencing their emotions like people do, and the men don't realize they're actually having an emotional reaction to their partner, because a lot of men in particular are programmed to have strong reactions to, for example, women crying. It's not uncommon for a man to accuse a woman of being manipulative through tears. Now, that's based on the guy's past experiences. The woman may or may not be trying to manipulate the guy through tears, but we all have programmed responses is based on our past experiences so that for some people, when they see a woman crying, they're going to have a strong emotional response. It could be anger because that's been used to manipulate them in the past. It could be empathy so that they cry right along with them. There could be a whole host of different responses. So one of the things I talk about in our drama class is that you need to own your shit. When you have an emotional reaction to a situation such as a car accident or a woman crying, you need to understand what your reaction to that is and you need to own it and say, this is mine. It may or may not be reality, but this is how I react to it. When I bring this up in classes, it's so interesting because a lot of couples will raise their hand and a woman will say, I cry all the time. And my partners would get upset with me because they thought I was trying to manipulate them. So I had to tell them, no, no, no. This is just what I do. Let me cry for five minutes and then, you know, and then give me a cat to pet and I'll be fine. And once the partner understood that and that behavior was reinforced, they could easily move past it. No more drama. So it's just a matter of understanding how you act the way you do, that level of self-awareness, and also being able to own your own shit and understand that if you're having a, a visceral reaction to something, that's yours. 
it's not the fault of the person or the action that's causing it. Yeah. You brought up a number of important things there. I think the first one is interpretation. For example, like I'm thinking from our audience perspective, some guys haven't had enough experience with women to see the kind of range of emotions and, and characters that women have, right? So if he comes across some girls, like you said, who just like, they just happen to cry sometimes. And I've certainly had girlfriends like that. And it wasn't a big deal for them at all. It's just like they cry and then and it's gone. And they're, they're cool with it. They're quite happy with that. That's what they're used to. And they don't make a big deal out of it. And then, as you say, if the guy doesn't understand that, he ends up making a much bigger deal out of it and placing his frame on it, thus creating the issue. Whereas like the, the guy is actually in his head, he's thinking it, she's creating the situation, but he's actually created the situation by doing that. The second thing you brought up is communication. If you're actually talking about this stuff, if the woman talking to you and explaining, if you give her the space to be able to communicate this kind of thing, like, oh, crying's not a big deal for me. I do it like twice a day, which <laughs> yeah. no, I'm serious. Some women are just wired that way biologically for them. And it's, it's really not a big deal for them. They don't see it as a big deal. It's kind of like I cry in most films. I'm just wired that way, which is unusual for a guy, but never mind. I think communication is a key thing here, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot more into that. But in terms of owning your own shit, how could a guy tell if it's his emotions which are kind of generating this response versus hers? Is, have you got any like tricks to help him figure out, work, work through his emotions and understand himself or understand where it's coming from him versus the woman? I'm a big believer that in order to be in a happy, healthy relationship, you have to know yourself. You have to know how you act and you have to know why you act in the ways that you do. I mean, I'm in my 40s, so there are very few people in their 40s that do not have some level of emotional baggage. I mean, there are people in their 20s and in their teens that have emotional baggage. We are all special little snowflakes and we've all had our own experiences and it's really not fair to expect your partner to guess at what those are. So I'm a big fan of doing this activity that I call writing your own user manual. And you can find mine. I've actually posted mine online. If you go to polyweekly.com and you search for RTFM, as in read the fucking manual, <laughs> That's cool. and you will find my user manual that I wrote 10 years ago. Excellent. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. And again, this is not, this is not a dating profile. This is who I am, how I act, and why I act the way they, I do. So the first part is, for an example, your family background and history. It's important to know I'm a middle child. It's important to know my relationship with my older brothers and with my family because that informs my current relationships. It's important to know I write things like how to turn me on sexually, how to flirt with me, how to argue with me, how not to argue with me. <laughs> what is special to me in terms of dating or gifts and things like that. It's more about how I operate. Is this like a one page, just to give people a quick idea, like, is it a one page or, or what would you advise? Is it, and I'm guessing it's evolved over time as well. It actually hasn't very much. Oh, cool. um, I wrote it years ago. And the thing is, because this is who I am and how I operate, it doesn't change. This is not like, oh, my favorite movie last year was this and my favorite movie this year is this, or I used to be a meat eater and now I'm vegetarian. This is who I am and why I operate the way I do. This is the part of me that doesn't really change very much. So for example, the way that my family history influences me, that doesn't really change too much. I may have a different approach to it from year to year, but the way that it influences me is, is fairly similar. And again, this document, let's see, I've, I've got it on a blog post. So it's kind of a longish blog post. I would say it's maybe two pages printed out. It's really basic and simple. It's things like communication turns me on. I would rather have you ask 
about something or say, why are you acting this way? Or what do you mean by that? Than to have you guess and act upon that guess. I also think it's really hot when guys cry. It shows a level of vulnerability that, frankly, I tend to date really manly men with lots of testosterone. So if they cry in front of me, that is a huge sign of trust and vulnerability. I think that's great. I give you permission to cry in front of me. You don't have to cry every day or anything, but... It is okay because I take that as a sign of trust. It's things like that. Does that make sense? It does. It strikes me as an awesome tool. And um, I think everyone at home, you should be doing this as homework if you really want to build your self-awareness. I mean, we've spoken about self-awareness before, but this strikes me as a great tool for guys to actually learn about themselves and make that more concrete. And one of the things that I, I learned from my partner, Lusty Guy, is he's fond of saying, you are the expert on you. So you get to decide why it is that you act the way that you do. It's very annoying to have a partner say, I think you're acting this way because of X. So in our relationship, we are the expert on ourselves. Now, that being said, my partner does often have some insights on my behavior, but he will always preface it with, look, Minx, you're the expert on you. Here's what I see in this situation. And that gets that can get you out of some very tricky situations when maybe your partner isn't being completely self-aware. And you want to acknowledge that they do have a level of self-awareness, but as an outside observer, sometimes you can add some information to that. Excellent. So when would you use this? First of all, it, it strikes me just as an exercise everyone should be doing. And if even if they're not going to show it to anyone, because then in their conversations with their partners, whoever it is, they're going to be able to get things straight. Because I think a lot of people don't have those kind of things straight in their heads. And when they're written down, it becomes a lot more concrete and less fluid. And it's kind of like these set boundaries. And so first thing is, it's great to do at home. But in terms of introducing that to your partners or something, is there anything you've suggested in the past? Or is it just like I said, just through conversations? It's funny. I wrote my own user manual because I thought it was a very important activity for self-awareness. And I do think that a lot of the root of drama and dissent in adult relationships is because we just don't know ourselves very well. And uh, I just thought it was important for me to write mine out. I never actually intended to give mine to anyone, but I did post online so that other people could have a model to write their own user manual. Now, what's funny is that when I met Lusty Guy, I actually asked him out through Facebook. And after that, he Googled me. The user manual idea is actually one of the most popular on my blog. So he found my user manual and he read it before our first date. He did his homework. <laughs> he, did, he did his homework. So I love the, the guy date went fine. <laughs> and the way he tells the story, he was sitting with his wife saying, oh my God, look, she's giving me the keys to the kingdom. It's all right here. <laughs> and he's fond of saying that if a woman is, is is kind enough to give you the keys to the kingdom, you damn well better read them and follow them. So he actually showed up on our first date wearing a kilt and a poofy shirt because I specify in my oh, out of flirt with me section that I like a guy in a kilt and a poofy shirt and quoting the princess bride. So he did all of those. And um, when I realized that he'd read my user manual, it took me a second. I'm like, oh, wow, he showed up wearing a kilt. And a poofy shirt, which is for Seattle, not that weird, but it's kind of specific. And then I realized that he must have found my user manual and I turned 20 shades of red. But he actually came with questions and said, okay, I've read it. I've studied it. I have some follow-up questions. <laughs> I, don't know, that would make, I can imagine that made for a very interesting date. 
once I got over my initial embarrassment, it actually made the date go very smoothly. Everything that was in the user manual are things I probably would have eventually brought up as we dated, but it would have happened over time. And some of them he probably would have stumbled over or found accidentally versus just having it written out. So he really appreciated it. But that being said... Yeah, and they could have been landmines like you're going to... Exactly. This is just sort of my way of keeping you from hitting the landmines accidentally because your last girlfriend liked this and it was great for her. And maybe it's a trigger for me. And so I just want to save you from having that experience. But that being said, the way I feel about it is just as you said, that it's a great experience at self-awareness. It makes it easier when things do come up for you to be able to describe your background and explain why it is that you act the way you do. I never intended to give this to anyone, and I don't actually recommend giving it to somebody before a first date, but I know plenty of people who do that, and they say it works out very well. Uh, but I do think it's a great exercise just for yourself. When and where you decide to show this to anyone else is up to you. I don't have any specific recommendations for that. Mm. I can see some some applications for it, but before that, have you seen guys using this? Like, uh, have you conversed with people from your podcast who've done their own and been talking about it, just to give us a gauge on that? Yeah, a few of my listeners have sent me in their user manuals, and by and large, most of them are women, but there was about 20 to 30% guys that sent in their user manuals, yes. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, just, just to make sure guys understand that. I think it's a great thing for guys to do. And what's funny is a couple in particular wrote it, but they wrote it in a language of a user manual, which I thought was fabulous. <laughs> They're like, okay, if X occurs, then make sure you do X. If Y occurs, then do this. If, if Z occurs, then call support. <laughs> yeah, but that makes it at least a bit humorous as well. That's kind of It was really fun, actually, yeah. Um, and it was very handy, actually, especially for people who have things like a medical condition where you do need to know what to do in the case of that medical condition. And you do need to, A, know where the medicine is, B, know what the procedure is for dealing with it, and C, know what the wife's phone number is so that you can call her. That's actually very handy to put in Yeah, there. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So a couple of contexts I was thinking it would be, uh, you could be more forward with it. And the first is online dating. If you're getting lots, lots and lots of uh, messages, I found it's good to put more of your online manual, your user manual, in your profile and it kind of filters that a lot out right so you get more people who are relevant and also if you're very time conscious and you don't want to be going on dates with people who are potentially have put up a different front to how they actually are and then it's going to be a waste of time going on the date and i found that's pretty useful like putting more stuff out which is really critical to you so it's basically this kind of stuff and it'll turn people away naturally that aren't relevant yeah i could see that the second one is actually conversations i've had on dates where we've started discussing this within the the first 10 minutes, and it ends up being a great date. But you were saying with Lusty Guy, it was a great date. But I think it's a specific to people who I think mostly have been polyamorous or been involved in that kind of community sometime, or are just very, very mature and very self-aware. Because it's not the kind of things you can bring up with everyone. Not everyone's used to this kind of way of talking. I would argue a bit with that and say that most people do appreciate honesty in the dating world. Some may be taken aback because they're not used to it, and that's true. Maybe this is just my own personal bias, but if somebody doesn't appreciate my level of honesty, then I probably don't want to date that person. If you want to play games, then I'm not about that. I'd rather just be honest up front and let you know who I am so you can 
take it further or reject me right off the bat. Uh, but I suppose some people do like to play games when they date and, and play that little game of chicken. I've never been very good at that. <laughs> I've never, right. and I've never enjoyed it. So right. I, I couldn't really speak to that. Yeah. Some people, I feel like it's not that they want to play games. It's, feel, it's like they don't have a comfort level with being direct, I feel. And they also don't want to upset the emotional vibe of the date. And so they don't feel comfortable with some kinds of straight talk, which they feel like, you know, that's the kind of stuff you leave to relationships, whereas some people feel very comfortable with that kind of stuff. So that's that's where I was coming from. I don't know if that helps fit with your world a bit better. Yeah, I could see that. It's not how I function, to be sure. And and to me, having a level of discomfort with honesty, I mean, I'm not talking about being blunt, right? I'm not talking about, oh, you know, your ass looks fat in that dress. I'm just talking about being upfront about you in particular. If somebody doesn't appreciate that, I guess I just, you know, maybe it's because I'm in my 40s. I just don't have the patience for it. I think it's sexy. I think communication is sexy. I think being honest and direct about what you want is sexy. I don't think it adds to the mystery personally to have polite conversations and to avoid these topics and to hit the landmines. I have to admit I'm a little biased. I think being unwilling to be honest, especially in those first few dates, shows a lack of confidence. And I tend to think that's a little unsexy too. Absolutely. I feel like I've just dissed like half your listeners and they're going to be hanging up now, <laughs> turning off the podcast. No, I think they like to be challenged. That's what we tell them. It's good to be challenged. So yeah, I agree with you about the confidence and things like that. I think we're talking slightly in different words. I think also as we get older, we like to be more direct and we we're less hung up about just being direct. In particular, I find younger people like 21 year old, especially like I've been in cultures like Asia, they have this, uh, there's a lot of things that go unsaid in that culture, especially Japan and places like that, right? So it can really, I think it really depends on the person and where they're coming from. But some people just don't have that comfort level that you tend to develop and get better at as you get older. And certainly by late 30s, 40, um, you start to be a lot more comfortable and direct with that. That's what I've seen. So anyway, I wanted to get into more practical stuff. If you decide that there's drama going on and you decide that it's the other person, we talked a little about what's drama and what's yours and, and, and what would be coming from them. What should you do if you decide that your partner or the person you're involved with is causing some kind of drama? How would you tackle it? Well, the first thing I would say is let's back up a little bit and talk about more ways to prevent drama. So you've got your user manual, you have your self-awareness, you are honest about who you are, and you're owning your own shit. It's also important to communicate, I call it communicate early and often. So it's important to have regular points of communication when there is not drama, because it's a really easy way to head off drama at the pass. So something that Lusty Guy and his wife do is they have had a regular date night once a week for the last 30 years that they've been married. And so they will actually do a state of the relationship talk. So they go on a date night and they do a state of the relationship talk. So they say, hey, how are you feeling about things? And it's great because this is a non-threatening, non-escalated format in which you can bring up things that might just, they're tiny. They're not a thing yet. They're not drama yet, but they may be teeny tiny small things that are bothering you. And you can, in a non-threatening and non-escalated environment, make your partner aware of them. For example, well, I'm a little stressed about money right now because the paychecks haven't been regular, or I'm getting a little annoyed because you're leaving your clothes on the floor a little bit more than usual, or I'm a little stressed because your brother's coming to town next week and you know, we don't get along, or, you know, it's been a while since we've had sex. I'm a little, it's okay, but I'm getting a little concerned. So I just wanted to bring that up. And 
it's such a good idea. I, I thought it was brilliant that they do this. They bring these things up once a week just to have an awareness of the state of the relationship. This is not a time when they sit and, and discuss things for three hours. They bring it up. The partner says, okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been feeling that too. Okay, good to know. And that's it. You don't have to have a big talk. You don't have to come up with a solution. Just the fact that the people in, are involved are aware of what's going on and have acknowledged out loud that there's a small thing that may later become a big thing means that everyone can take ownership and be aware of that. And I find that that, doing things like that, heads off 90% of drama at the pass. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And you're speaking about specific habits and relationships which sound very great. Habits were very cool. But that rule... What if you're not doing that? Yeah, yeah. If, if, you're, if you're not doing that, what you said before, it still counts. It's like bring it up at the first sign. And it's way better to, even as soon as you spot it, even if you don't have these weekly meetings, which would be the ideal, you could just bring it up on the spot, right? The first time you kind of notice it. And that's another bit of advice too, is bring something up at the first sign. Do not wait until it's escalated. One of the things I say is that weird and unidentified is okay. Very often when something's not working, we just get this feeling that something is a little off, but we don't know what it is and we can't quite put our finger on it. It's important to say something then, even if what all you're saying is, I feel a little weird. I feel like something's off. I don't know what it is. Now, some people can find that frustrating because you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do about it? No, nothing. Just be aware. This is just a statement. And Usually when that's brought up, you'll both figure out what it is very quickly. Now, to address your actual question, which I so rudely avoided before, what do you do when, fine, you haven't done those things and now you've got drama. You've got something that blew up in your relationship and it's a big deal. So one of the things that I just think is... Um, Whenever I teach this uh, kicking polydrama in the ass class, I always say that if you only walk away with one thing from this class, we actually give five tips for combating drama. If you only walk away with one, it would be this, which is one I mentioned earlier. Own your own shit. When you're having some type of disagreement or you're having some type of emotionally heightened situation, own your own shit. Now, my definition of that is take personal responsibility for understanding, diagnosing, analyzing, and stating the emotions that you are feeling at the time. Understanding, diagnosing, analyzing, and stating your emotions. Now that may sound a little psychobabbly, and it is, but this is a really advanced skill. A lot of people, if you are experiencing anger, or if you are experiencing fear, or frustration, or a fight or flight response, it's very difficult while you're still experiencing that to calmly say, I am experiencing a fight or flight response. This is based on an abusive episode of my childhood, and I feel a very strong reaction right now to run away or to stay here and fight violently for myself. That's based on my childhood. Not something that we are generally taught to do in school. Generally, we are taught you're angry, you get to yell and scream, you get to throw a tantrum, and it's fine. People will forgive you. A couple of rules with respect to owning your own shit. So the first thing is everything you're feeling is okay. We all experience a range of emotions. We are angry. We are sad. We are petty. Those are all okay. A lot of people that are polyamorous in particular are very resistant to admit that they feel jealousy. I feel jealous all the time. I don't give it power over me. I feel jealous just like I feel angry or sad or happy or gleeful. I tend to feel petty a lot. A lot of times I have really petty jealousies, really petty little instances um, where I feel like somebody's getting more than me or I'm not getting my share. 
I own that. I know that I'm like that. It's much easier for me just to say, I am feeling really petty right now, or I'm feeling really jealous. I'm feeling abandoned. Easier for me to say that than to do the childish thing and act on it and do any one of a number of passive aggressive things that, you know, would drive my partners crazy. So it's okay to feel whatever you feel. People don't like to admit they have negative emotions. You got to get over, get over that. We all experience negative emotions. Guys, we are all embarrassed. We are all angry. We all get jealous at some point. It is okay. Does that make sense? You brought up a lot of stuff there. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I think the main thing the guys are going to be struggling for at home is when you're talking about the thing like feeling petty and things like that, they're going to be struggle with being ashamed of their emotions, basically not being confident in their own emotions and thinking it's wrong. I think we're taught a lot to take control of the kinds of negative emotions and to not communicate them, especially as men. I think that's kind of something placed on us. So I'm sure a lot of the guys at home are kind of feeling like that with respect to that. So in terms of that, obviously, in the polyamorous community, there's basically rules and ways to look at things where they say you should respect everyone's emotions and understand them and so on. But in mainstream society, there's, you know, there's a lot less of that in general. It's getting better, but there's a lot less of that. So I guess it's difficult for the guys to decide what am I going to be okay with communicating and what my partner is uh, going to be okay with communicating. And the other issue I see is some of the guys we have listening to the podcast, a lot of them, in fact, haven't got a lot of experience with women. Sometimes that's made them unconfident, right? They're not very confident with women. And also sometimes it means that for exactly the same reasons you said, like bring it up at the first sign, they now have these emotional laden reactions to things, which are maybe a lot more over the top in terms of emotion than a lot of people because they haven't been having great relationships and, and experiences with women in the past and they're kind of pissed off or angry or they have these kinds of negative emotions about it or just sad, um, depressed maybe. So I think that puts in question their own emotions. They don't trust their own emotions and they don't know. And I think if they did communicate those, it would be kind of heavy duty for the girl, depending on who she is and how mature she is. So if you've got any advice around that, I know it's a really loaded question and it's difficult. Well, I think you bring up a really good point. I try to stress up front that everything you're feeling is okay. The negative emotions you're feeling are all okay. However, you're correct that a lot of people do not have that philosophy. If you come and say, I'm angry or I'm upset or I'm jealous, you can get very easily get a negative reaction from someone else. And now keep in mind that that is based on that person's emotional baggage, right? That person then needs to own their own shit. And one of the things I point out in in terms of um, shit owning (laughs) is that I think this is a healthy and good thing for all adults to be able to do, whether it's in your intimate relationships, at your job, with your family. I think this is just a good thing to practice all the time. If you're not comfortable doing your romantic relationships, practice it with your familial relationships. Yes, mom, you're right. I didn't do the dishes. That's absolutely right. I should have. I apologize. In the office, own your own shit. Yes, I am the reason that this project was delayed for three days. Please don't blame anybody else. I got caught up in other things. That's all on me. Owning your own shit is incredibly empowering. So if you're not comfortable doing it in romantic relationships yet, practice it in other places. But with the acknowledgement that, yeah, sometimes when you own your own shit, it just gives people more ammunition to shoot you down. And there's not a lot you can do about that, except in certain situations, you can then ask the other person to own their shit. 
This is very tricky and there's not really a good and easy way to do it. There have been times when I was all did the right thing and I owned my own shit. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I have to admit I was feeling this. And this was with a Metamore who was my partner's wife, Metamore being my partner's partner with whom I am not romantically involved. There was one relationship in particular where she and I were just always butting heads. We never really got along despite all my efforts to do so. I think I probably pushed a little too hard, to be honest. But this is one situation where I was owning my shit, even though it was really, really hard to own my shit. Because whenever I did, she would blame me. Like I would come up and say, this is what I did. I was feeling this way. I'm sorry. It really wasn't right. And she would look at me and say, yeah, you're right. (laughs) You are a terrible person. That was the wrong way to act. You're really awful. (laughs) There's always a chance that that can happen. And it, it really does not feel good. It's not a pleasant experience. But I'm a big believer that taking personal responsibility for myself, not for anyone else, but only for myself, is incredibly empowering. So what I've done in those situations is things like, okay, you know, I've said that I believe it takes two people to make a miscommunication. So I've owned my part. This is what I did wrong. And you've agreed with that. You know, is there anything you can think of that maybe not that you did wrong, but that maybe next time you might be able to do a little bit differently, knowing what you know now? And sometimes that would garner a response. What it strikes me, I mean, one of the very important things of this, no matter if, say, you do, you have got some emotions which are a bit overcharged compared to the norm and you want to communicate those, if you have good approaches to communication, and you've been giving us examples of those, but I don't know if you have a, a distinct structure that you think about which reflects owning your emotions and not pushing on someone else. I don't know if you've seen the courses Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. Because it seems like some of the things, the way you're talking, sounds like you've seen some of that information and you've been doing something similar. Basically, do you have structures you could give us now which would help, even if we have got a really strong emotion and we're trying to communicate that it won't basically cause a reaction from the other person and create the drama we're trying to avoid? I'm not a psychologist and I would highly recommend there are a couple of really good books out there. There's one called Difficult Conversations. I was just recommended one called Crucial Conversations, Nonviolent Communication, as you said. And if you want to get that level of detail, I would recommend something like that. What I embrace is something that's a little more it's a little higher level because, again, I usually teach these courses in an hour, right? So maybe an hour and a half. <laughs> so it's enough to give you the building blocks, but I don't have those particular exchanges. I would say that um, I wanted to circle back and acknowledge one other thing that you were asking about, which is it can be really scary and um, can risk a negative reaction if you do bring up owning your negative emotions. Um, people could have a very negative reaction to that. And to that, I would say one of the benefits of accepting the fact that your emotions come from within you and that there is not someone out there who's making you feel something or making you do something, but that this is simply a reaction that you are having to outside stimuli based on your past experiences, that means that you are also empowered to understand and then affect your emotions. Once you understand your emotions and once you understand why you act the way you do, at least in some broad issues, it is incredibly empowering. Now, will you always get a positive response when you own your shit? No. To be honest, no. Some people are not going to have a good response to that. I will say that the more I've been doing it over the last five years or so, I'm very fortunate that I almost always get a positive response. Um, There have been very few times when Lusty Guy and I have had anything that would be called an argument. 
because we tend to hit things off at the pass by communicating early and often. But there have been two instances that I can think of where something happened and things, emotions sprung up fairly quickly and things got a little out of hand. And the emotional fallout to each of those situations lasted about 10 minutes because in both cases, I was the party that was being insensitive, um, as I sometimes am a little clueless. And once it was pointed out to me that my partner was having a reaction to my actions and I took a look at how I was feeling and why I'd acted the way I did and realized, oh shit, of course he would react that way. (laughs) So my first reaction was to, you're right. I'm sorry. This is what I was thinking. This is what I was feeling. I could totally see why you would have that reaction. It's not what I intended. I love you. And boom, it is done in 10 freaking minutes. Why? Because I don't have any ego. I don't feel like I have to say, no, I was right to do this way. I have the confidence to know that this was just my reaction. It is okay. It's not my fault that um, my partner had a bad reaction to something I did that was maybe a little insensitive or you're not what he needed. That's okay. That shit happens. And taking the ego out of it and just being able to understand that I acted this way, that's okay. I still love myself. It makes it so easy for me to just say, shit, you're right. I'm sorry. Not what I meant. I love you. Here, have a cookie. So much easier. Yeah. And one of the reasons that was possible was because the way he spoke to you wasn't, he wasn't emotionally charged about it. Right. So he wasn't creating a reaction. He was emotionally charged. Oh, so you were being responsible there. (laughs) He was very upset. But while he was emotionally charged, he was owning his shit. While he was so upset that he felt like running away, he was standing there in front of me owning his shit saying, this is how I feel right now. I am feeling this way based on how you just acted. So even though he was in an extreme emotional state, he could still describe his emotions and own his shit, which meant that... It sounds like he's kept his calm. Though. You know, he, he did. He hadn't let it get out of control. And I think that's whenever people don't communicate with calm, when they let it get emotionally overladen. I kind of feel like we, we skipped just a little bit on this topic is that yeah. one of the reasons that you have to bring it up early is because you don't want it to come up a few times and every time they get a little bit more emotional about it, the kind of emotions start brewing. And then once it's happened 10 times, you thought about it more, it's got more and more emotional and then there's this explosion. And even if you want to talk about it at that time, it's going to be emotional whether you feel calm or, or not just because it's been building. Is that the way you look at it? It's not so much about being calm. It's having that ability to experience a negative emotion and at the same time describe it, which I suppose is in a calm tone of voice, yes. But understanding that, um, especially if you've had a partner who's had some type of abuse or has PTSD, those people learn to feel the trigger to those extreme emotions and be able to describe it at the same time. They learn to do that through therapy. I think we all should be able to do that. Um, So you're right. It's being able to experience your extreme anger or rage and at the same time say, I am feeling really angry right now. And we should all practice that because it's incredibly beneficial because then your partner can react to what you're saying instead of running away because you just punched the wall. So I guess what we want to do is also look at it from the other side. Say a guy's dating a girl and she comes to him and she she communicates to him that she's having some trouble with something he's doing. Have you got any tips on how he should respond? What would be helpful ways to respond? So the first thing you do is listen. Don't argue. I find that when somebody is 
telling me about behavior that I have that makes them feel a certain way, um, my first instinct is to defend myself and say, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Or, oh, no, no, why would you act that way? My last partner didn't. Yeah, that's everyone's instinct. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard, but you have to shut up. You have to shut up and listen. You have to let the person talk. You can take notes if you want. Um, this is something I used to do. I would like write things down, like if, if there were things I wanted to make sure to address later. But you have to let the person talk without interrupting. You have to let her say everything she needs to say and then encourage her to say more. Say, okay, is that all? Is there more? And you'd be surprised if you actually asked, is, that, is there more? Very often, she could talk for another 10 or 20 minutes. Um, but if you didn't give her that opportunity, that would still be inside of her. So you have to be able to listen and you have to be able to hear these things about yourself and have enough self-confidence to know that even though it sounds like this is about you, it's not about you. This is about her reactions because they're most likely based on somebody that she dated in the past. It could be based on a family experience. These reactions that she's having are basically informed by her past experiences. So most likely it's not about you. It's just that you're reminding her of these things. So I would encourage you to listen very carefully and then ask, <laughs> do you want me to listen or do you want me to offer a solution? I encourage this to both men and women because sometimes we just want to be heard and simply feeling that my partner hears what I'm saying is enough. I don't need any solutions. I don't need a promise to change. I just need to feel like my partner heard me and that's it. And now we can go to dinner. We can have sex. It's all good. Sometimes I actually don't know what to do and I'm very distraught because I feel there is no solution. And so sometimes I actually do want my partner to come up with possible solutions. Now, a lot of us are fixers and a lot of men in particular, they go straight to the solution. So the second woman says, you know, I'm jealous, the partner may say, okay, we won't be poly anymore. Well, jealousy is based on insecurity. And so even if you shut down your relationship and become monogamous, that insecurity is, is still there. So that doesn't really solve it. Ask what your partner wants. If you're not sure, then just ask, say, do you want me to listen? Do you want a solution? What do you want from me right now? What would be best? What would make you feel best in this situation? Now, she may ask for something that's completely unrealistic. That's okay. You're giving her the power, right? You're letting her say, this is what I want. Now, that's where the negotiation starts. Um, one of the big things we talk about in poly relationships and in relationships in general is ask for what you want. If you don't ask for something, you probably won't get it. Now, that being said, a lot of people ask in relationships for things that they want, but that they're just not going to get. So you also have to be able to hear a no. If she says, okay, we need to not be poly anymore, and you still want to be poly, then this is when you open up negotiation and say, okay, I hear that you would feel more comfortable if we were monogamous again. Now that you've said what you want, here's what I want. And then you start the process of negotiating. I kind of segued from emotional support into a negotiation, which is uh, a little bit of crossing lines there. But does that make sense? If, if, if you're in the midst of drama and someone is upset, you really want to listen. Right, right. There's actually a couple of things I saw in your presentation, your presentation, which I'd like to bring up um, because they were really cool. And they added to what you just said is that you talked about rewarding the right behaviors. Yes. Um, so when someone has done that emotional processing and taken the courage to give you the information, kind of like the user's manual, right? They're saying, this is what's going on right now. Then you really want to reward. That's the kind of behavior you want more of in relationships rather than reacting it like some of the negative reactions. But I think you can talk about it more about it, but like you gave some tips on reacting basically positively to it, right? To make sure that, you know, you're rewarding those kind of behaviors and encouraging it. 
Exactly. And that, that can be hard to do if, if somebody is accusing you or you feel like your partner is accusing you of something or pulling out your negative traits. It can be very difficult, but I'm a big believer in works for dogs, works for people. You reward the positive <laughs> and you correct the negative. So if someone is kind enough to write their user manual or to tell you what they want or to tell you what they need or to own their own shit. You say, thank you for doing that. I know that must have been hard. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, even if while they were owning their own shit, they were also maybe calling you names. Well, I won't say calling you names because that's another that can cross over into abuse. So let's say if they're saying negative things about you, it's still if the spirit of it is still that they were owning their own shit or that they are being brave enough to ask for what they want, even if your answer to what they want is no, you should still thank them for being brave enough to ask for what they want because a lot of people don't. A lot of people will not ask for what they want. They will let the relationship slowly deteriorate. They will start seeing somebody else on the side and then they'll make you break up with them for a stupid reason because they were too chicken to say what they wanted. So we really should be rewarding this behavior. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent point. So we're coming up. This has been a great conversation, but we're kind of running out of time. Unfortunately, maybe we, we should get you back on the show. <laughs> Happy to. I feel like we've covered half of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so some of the rounding off questions are like, first of all, what are the best ways for people to connect with you and learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. Uh, you can find uh, the podcast and all the show notes at polyweekly.com. You can email me at polyweekly at gmail.com or also on Facebook, dot com forward slash polyweekly we're on twitter at polyweekly we're on google plus tumblr if you search for cunning minks or polyweekly you'll find us all over the internet and also i should say um if can i do a little plug for my book Sure, go for it. I didn't know yeah. you had a book. So I have an um, ebook, which you can also order as a paper book from Amazon called Eight Things I Wish I'd Known About Polyamory. And what we talked about today, Kicking Polydrama in the Ass, is two chapters of that book. It's very short. Um, I'm not even an inch thick. I'm just very tiny. <laughs> but in that book, we also have, it's the only place where there is a blank template for writing your own user manual. Um, so if you want a little bit of extra help, the book is something like, I think, $8.99. And if you go to polyweekly.com, and click on the eight things tab, then you'll find how you can order the book. Excellent. Excellent. Other than you, who besides yourself would you recommend for high quality advice in this area? Absolutely. So are we talking about books or people, blogs? Absolutely anything. Any references that people might find useful it could be people that you respect and you've learned from or whoever. Absolutely. Okay. So let's start with some books. If you're looking at polyamory or some type of non-monogamy, best book out there today is Opening Up by Tristan Terramino. She did an exhaustive study of hundreds of poly couples, groups, triads, and what their relationship models were. Her book is almost more like a textbook. She covers the different relationship structures and how they work so you can get an idea of what structure might work best for you. There's also a fabulous new book on relationship and poly ethics out called More Than Two by Franklin Vo and Eve Rickert. Now that is, they're thicker than me. They're over an inch thick, but they cover... All the ups and downs of morality and ethics with respect to dating and relationships and not just polyamory. They cover all types of relationships. And uh, that's one of the best books out there to date. In terms of podcasts, if you're podcast listeners, um, then I would recommend listening to uh, things like uh, Sex Nerd Sandra has a very fun podcast. Uh, Tristan Terramino's has uh, hers is called uh, Sex Talk Radio. And, oh, I'm totally blanking. Oh, if you're into kink and if you're into Rope and Shibari in particular, my ex-boyfriend, Grey Dancer, still has a great podcast up called The Rope Cast that's all about Japanese rope bondage. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, well, it's a little bit of fun there. Yeah. And if you're, and I know this is kind of segueing out of uh, the kink and poly are kind of related to me, but you can also, of course, go to there's Passionate You and kink.com that have all kinds of relationship tips and videos you can subscribe to to find out how to do everything from polyamory to rope bondage to how to tie up your girlfriend. So a little bit of everything there. Excellent. Thank you. That's a whole lot of cool references there. And I know opening up, you know, I've had my eye on it to read that for a while, but I haven't yet got to it. Excellent book. Yeah, yeah. It's already been said by several people on the podcast. Um, so you're in good company. Final question here. What are your top three recommendations to guys starting from scratch? If they have very little knowledge or experience, how would you suggest that they improve their dating lives as fast as possible? Top three recommendations. Well, being somebody who is really terrible at dating myself, again, I was single for five, six years and I was just, I'm just not that great at dating. Um, what I found works for me and what I think works for most people is instead of focusing on your dating skills, working on self-confidence. And the best way to work on your self-confidence is to do things that you love. So for example, if you're really into I don't know, let's say, I know a lot of science fiction geeks. So if you're really into sci-fi, then go to the sci-fi meetup groups, go to the sci-fi conventions, start a meetup group yourself, start a sci-fi book club, do things that you are really passionate about. And doing those on a regular basis, especially if you're doing something like maybe leading a book club or being a regular member of a group that people know and like and trust, that tends to make us more confident with who we are. I think a lot of issue with dating is that we worry that the other person isn't going to like us, so we feel like we have to be a certain way. And I found that what works best for me is when I just go do shit that I love to do. I'm a big salsa dancer, so I go out and salsa dance. I, I like going to, to independent theater, so I'll go grab a friend and I'll go to see some tiny black box theater production that only has 50 seats. And... When I am doing those things that I am into with people that I like and care about that I'm not dating, that's when I always meet the people that I want to date. And it usually works out much better if I meet people in those instances because when I am out at the theater, when I'm out salsa dancing, then I am my best and happiest and most confident self. So you're kind of setting the stage for yourself for your own success. And what's important, though, is that I, I don't go to those things in order to date. I have never dated anybody I've met at a salsa club. I go there because it makes me happy and it makes me a confident person. Now, it did happen that I met my partner, Lusty Guy, when I saw his one-man show. But again, if I hadn't, if I'd been sitting at home moping saying, why can't I date anybody? Because at that point, I had been dateless and sexless for over a year, if you can believe it. I could have been sitting at home moping saying, why can't I date anybody? Or I could have been sitting on OkCupid. But instead, I went out and did something that I loved. I got a friend and I made a date to go to the theater. That's when I saw him on stage. And that's when I thought, hey, you know what? I am awesome. I could ask that guy out. <laughs> and I did. And he said yes and read my user manual and you know the rest. Excellent. Excellent. I really like your first one. Do what you love. Do what you love. Yeah. Worry less about dating. Worry more about you. And when you are a happy and confident person, good shit happens. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, Minx, for coming on the show. It's been really good chat. Really, really interesting. I really enjoyed it myself too. Yeah, it's been really fun, Angel. Thank you. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait, do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at datingskillsreview.com. 
how we help men like you take control of their dating lives.